Hi, it's Rainy G. So let's tell a little story. There's so much going on in America, in the world, that is unsettling, it's disturbing, it's distressing. Everyone I know is stressed beyond repair almost because of all the things that this administration has put us through for the last five and a half years. But the stock market is soaring. We don't know why, do we? We have uh, the courts, the federal courts, being stacked by Obama as best as he can, and we have Republicans filibustering in the Senate to stop that. We have Reid, who will try to change the rules of the Senate, the United States Senate, for the first time in history, so the Republicans can't block the appointments to federal courts that would forever, forever change the way the judicial system in a separate way challenges and offsets and balances whatever happens in the legislative branch of our government. We have uh, uh, Obamacare, and at this point it's a joke, but it really isn't, and people need to take, um, take a lot of care in the way you look at everything that's happening with that. This was a plan, and it's plan A of many, uh, the sheep in the Democratic Party who have always followed the rule book of whatever the leader says you say it again and again and again. And if you say it enough, say it uh, loud enough and softly enough and enough times in enough places, whether you originally believed what you were saying or not, you will by the time you're done. And that's what I see going on in the Democratic Party is everybody just believes what they've been saying. They never really read or understood why they were what they were voting for, why they voted for it. And it's not just Obamacare, it's probably every law that's been passed since 1951. Um, you just, uh, people in our, our House of Representatives and Senate don't read what they're raising their hands about, um, or for, whatever the right word is. And why did I say 1951? Well, our country's demise really started, well, it started a long time before that, but came to a head in 1913 under Wilson. And that's where progressive income tax started and the feds started and all these things began. And uh, by 1920, well, let's go even to 1917, you know, Wilson got us into World War One, which upset many of the socialist communists in America who were here. They used to even go to meetings at uh, uh, Radio City Music Hall and uh, meet in different places around the country so they could follow the Soviet way of doing things. And, um, and they believed that Wilson would not take us to war, and that's why he got into office. If you've ever seen the movie Reds by um, Warren Beatty and, and um, uh, what's her name? Oh, anyway, but it's a Warren Beatty film. It's quite long. It's, I think it's almost four hours. But it's all about that period of time in America when, when Americans are trying to figure out whose side they're on, where they come from, and who they should be following. And they follow very much the, the European idea and ideology of Fabian Socialism, um, which feeds right into Marxist-Leninism. 
and they believe that that is what's supposed to happen in America. But the end of it, and the end of that movie, and I, I can spoil it because you need to watch the whole thing, is um, Diane Keaton, that's who else is, is the one who uh, starred with him, says to Congress, no, that can't, it won't work. She believes in it, but it would never work in America. And it hasn't, still hasn't, and still won't. But as time went on, as we worked up through the 20s, um, when when all kinds of things happened to, to try to destroy America from within, and then 1929 when the stock market crashed and the Great Depression under FDR, well, here's here we have another communist president, FDR. Some of the worst policies ever, ever, before Obama were instituted under FDR. Now, if you talk to your, if you're my age and you talk to your parents who are in their 80s, 90s, or 100s by now, they'll tell you that they loved FDR because everyone was so poor and unemployment was so high that he started this wonderful WPA program, the workers' uh, program, and that's what let their parents go to work. They never, they didn't have the media that we have now. They certainly didn't have television. Um, many didn't even have radio, and so they relied on newspapers, if they got them, if they could afford them, to read the news, and mostly got their news from each other. And what they understood, what they could analyze at that time, was that something happened in this market that they weren't part of, because they weren't part of the upper middle class, and because of that, there was no employment anywhere, and this wonderful president, who was in a wheelchair, who they felt compassion for, and empathy for, um, because of the polio uh, scare that that was all over America. This wonderful president did this program that let them go work on shovel-ready jobs and, uh, you know, dig ditches and, and at least bring home some money to feed their children. And that's how they remember him. They don't remember the policies that he instituted, truly. So, but he was so popular that, you know, they, they they voted him in not two times, but three. He's also the president, don't forget, that brought us into World War II. So you have Wilson, who is a progressive communist, who got us into World War One, and you have FDR, another progressive communist, who got us into World War II. Um, we were isolationists, really, before World War One. Americans... Were, it was the true melting pot. We came from every country and became Americans when we got here and um, really didn't want to go fight anybody else's country because we were all from all those countries, not just Europeans. I mean, there were, you know, the Chinese were here, the Japanese were here, so Asia was here. The Africans were here. They were sold and uh, uh, shipped here, not by white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, but by Arabs, Islamists, other blacks from Africa. By the way, as a side note, the Democrats uh, throughout history have been the ones who wanted to keep blacks segregated. Um, they started the KKK. They're the ones who voted against the NAACP. They voted against stopping any kind of slavery. And once they did that and became known that they did that, of course, they've tried to exploit blacks ever since. And 
the Republican Party or whatever you want to call it. I, I, I don't really think we have a Republican and Democrat Party. I think we've had uh, a mishmash of what we call two parties forever because no one ever really knew what they meant. They just knew that they disagreed. But they didn't stand up enough to say this is what the Democrats are doing. And now Democrats tout, you know, themselves as the non-racist party and the, the progressives who want to move everybody forward and take care of the poor. And Isn't it interesting that under every Democratic president, people are more poor than they were before, and every state that has a Democratic governor is more poor than it ever was under a Republican. And, um, and yet, all these years, people have been voting Democratic because the Democrats are going to take care of the poor, and they do it every time, and they're still poor, and, and more poor than they were before. Except for one. Except for one president, which I'll get to in a minute. But So you go through FDR, and um, you know you, you come out of that whole thing, and, and, and World War II, and we move into a period of time when when many thousands, hundreds of thousands of soldiers, and Marines and sailors are returning home from a hard-fought war. Um, and, and America wants to renew itself. You even saw it in the way they, they painted their houses if they could afford one, if they could get a loan through the, the building and loan, like in A Wonderful Life. Um, they painted the woodwork white, and they painted houses white. They wanted to get pure again. They wanted to wash their hands of a lot that had happened already in their histories. And they wanted their children to grow up in a different place. And so we, we move into 1950. Another <clears throat> special, special time in our history. Um, I was born in 1950. My father had been in World War II, and so were four of his brothers. Um, and it was a weird time, because here you've got people trying to rebuild their lives after after a devastating war and and then a conflict coming up in Korea between the north and the south and many of those guys going back to war again so that those of us who were born you know in the late 40s and early 50s in the 1900s usually were brought up by single family single parent homes um or even babysitter homes or grandmother at home homes um for the beginning, at least, while the, while this conflict was going on, that a major struggle in the early fifties to again, once the conflict in Korea was was finished, get back and try to build the life that your parents came here for. That's what my parents wanted. My my father's parents immigrated here, so he 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 and his brothers were trying to live the American dream, trying to figure out how to build the American dream. They were entrepreneurial in spirit, but not. Um, my, my grandfather had a business, so my father, instead of becoming a pilot or a teacher, went into business with his brothers because that's what you're supposed to do and, and build a life for your children the best way you can. And, and this is what they all were here for. And so the fifties became a, a time of trying to rebuild and, and cleanse whatever we had done or gone through. And as children, we're growing up in that, in that world, that wonderful world of, um, playing all day and um, recess at school, you know, lunches at school, 
knowing how to fight your way through the the fights in the playground without being called a bully or getting shot or whatever. And um, walking to school, walking home, not a lot of homework. So you got your homework done if you did it and and came home for dinner and did your chores, did what you had to do around the house. Um, Television had come in to, to play. So if you were three, four, five, six years old, you're watching very few programs, but things like Ed Sullivan and Liberace and the Mickey Mouse Club, Superman, those are the things that I remember watching. And you weren't allowed to watch it a lot. And if I woke up late at night with a nightmare and my mother was ironing, then you watched wrestling. But she usually talked or read. Um, I learned to read when I was three and a half. Kids now still don't know how to read when they're in college. Um, so it was a, it was almost a special time. But it was also the beginning of the end of time in, in many ways. Um, the communists had felt... Defeated the socialists in our country, the Fabian socialists. Uh, you have people like H.G. Wells and and uh, uh, geez, you know, every time I try to remember a name when I'm on this, I I forget George Bernard Shaw in very um, choppy old films telling you what Fabian socialism is all about and how they believe in it, and um, this is really the core of the the Communist Party in America and. Their belief system has is still going on. This is the same system that's in play right now. But if you if you really go to YouTube or Google George Bernard Shaw, for instance, and look up um, his little spiel about what Fabian socialism is all about, and and he'll tell you quite plainly that they believe that there are they are the elite, and because they are elite and you are not, that you are you're only here for their purposes and. If you don't suit those purposes, if you're not well enough or young enough um, or old enough, and they don't see you being productive, then they don't really see any reason for you to be around. And and uh, that's where Obamacare comes in. That's what the basic premise is. They want to use the youth to sign up for Obamacare to take care of the old, but only if they decide the old should be taken care of, and that's not... Um, decided by doctors, but by a panel of bureaucrats who will look and see if you are productive enough or not. And if you're worthy, then, you know, then your health care will take care of you. If you're not worthy for a certain operation or um, therapy or whatever, then, then, then you won't get it. And they use the young for that because the young will be productive and they want them to be uh, productive for them because they believe that they deserve almost to be like kings, like Obama acts, because they're doing the work to cause the change. Uh, that's been going on not not since 2008, but since 1953. And really prior to that in the 1920s and 1913 with the election of Wilson. So this is an evolving thing that's gone on forever uh, in our country because we're young. It is a forever thing. The first hundred years, we went through the clashes of of land and, and territory, which has happened in every country, every area of the world since its beginning. Everybody thinks that we took and stole land. Well, go back to your beginnings. You know, I don't care if your parents and grandparents or great-grandparents came from Italy or China or or Poland or Russia or Chile or wherever you came from. The nomadic 
tendencies of the human race to not all congregate in one tiny speck on this on this planet has caused us to move into other areas and fight. It's always about land. It's always about profits. That's what the wars are from. Wars have gone on since Cain killed Abel. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, I don't care if you're Christians, you believe in God or whoever you believe in, we started somewhere. And from those beginnings, we moved to who we are now. And that means everybody stole from everybody, if that's what you believe. If we stole from the Indians, what I say is, and I'm part Native American, who did they steal from? Who did they steal the land from? Who was here before them? And who was here before them? And who was here before them? And just keep on going on. That means we all have to pay back everybody. And that means we all have nothing. Well, there you go. Now you're back into some form of religion that says we don't own any of this, which is where most of my spirituality comes from. This is all on loan to us. We never owned it to begin with. You should be a part of all of it. You should share it all, but not like the communists believe you should share. So it's a, it's a complicated thing, but it needs to be understood. Because, see, the more it's not understood, the more we're going to repeat our history. And the more we repeat that history, the more we lose. So, okay, so we get up into the 50s and World War II is over. And Patton, George S. Patton, wanted to continue the war and get rid of the, the, the socialists in um, uh, Russia. And, of course, he was uh, slapped on the head and the hand by Eisenhower, because Eisenhower was part of the beginning um, of some more changes. And he tried to warn us about the the military complex, but he's also, the reason he's warning us about the military complex is because he's a progressive. He's a progressive Republican who really, I mean, I, I, in some ways we're lucky we won, if you want to call it that, World War II with Eisenhower in command because um, it was really more the generals like Patton who got us to and where we were supposed to be. But, okay, so he he's he becomes president. And, of course, George S. Patton is assassinated in Europe. And, and that, that, that story gets kind of swept under the rug, but they smeared him, you see. They made him sound like this crazy general who slaps soldiers and, and uh, rants and raves and is insane and has all these delusions and illusions about being part of war for his whole life and things. So they they actually used um, Saul Alinsky's principles of, of targeting and then smearing and then destroying somebody who is a threat to the progressivism that they're trying to employ. So I don't think anyone has ever talked about Eisenhower as a progressive Republican, but I believe that he's much he was much like John McCain is now. You know, he is a war hero, um, supposedly. Uh, he was the supreme commander, and without him, we wouldn't have won World War II. And John McCain has touted himself as the Vietnam hero of the POW camp, which, which by the way, many um, Vietnam veterans will dispute. Uh, they don't believe many of the things that have been said about John McCain. Um, he's another progressive Republican, and so... The one thing you start to learn as you as you learn about history and follow through and, and connect the dots is that 
when you run into a progressive anybody, be they Republican, Democrat, or whatever they want to call themselves, even progressive libertarians, believe it or not, um, you can't believe them. <laughs> they have this thing about just lying. There's real no, there's no honor in what they do. They just lie because they figure that the end justifies the means, which is very much into what um, Marxist-Leninism is all about and communism is all about. Whatever you have to do or say to get your final agenda done, which is a, um, a collective society that caters to the elite, then you go ahead and do or say it. If you have to have someone murdered, if you have to um, lie, cheat, steal, you know, use, abuse people to get there, then you become a Hillary Clinton who says, what difference does it make? In the end, you know, you say, what if four people die at Benghazi? That's okay because they were trying to do something else that you that you are not smart enough to understand, that you don't need to know, that they're the ones in charge and they'll handle it because they know best. So if they were gun running, if they, you know, had other things going on that they know in the end will be best for the whole collective vision that they have, then if four people have to die so that that's not exposed, then what difference does it make? Hmm. Well, she's the same person who defended Black Panthers who were murderers. Um, she knew how to lie from the beginning. In fact, she was fired from committees because they found her to be a liar. And, um, you know, she married a liar who lied, lied, lied until he was impeached and then said, oh, gee, yes, I did. Another progressive Democrat, okay? And that's the same as a communist. They, they have this vision and they've been taught, they've actually gone to schools in Chicago, etc., that teach them that collectivism, that communism, is the way to go, and here's how you get there. You use the Cloward Pivens strategy of uh, overwhelming the system so that you can destroy the economy, and while, while employing that strategy, you also employ the tactics of Saul Alinsky, uh, Rules for Radicals, that's who... Um, Hillary Clinton actually wrote her thesis about, and you maintain the agenda of fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Now, you use anything you can, and as a progressive, you definitely want to use blacks because they feel they are victims, and as long as you've gone through telling the lie over and over and over again that it's white people who did this to them, it's the white man, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant who's done this, um, then you can use them for your advantage and gain that advantage so that you can move your agenda forward. That's what they're doing. That's what they'd like to keep doing, and they're going to keep doing. Obamacare is in trouble, so what do they want to push is immigration reform. For what reason? Well, if you push immigration reform and Obamacare doesn't quite work right to get a lot of the young signed up to move this forward, um, then you better get the Hispanics and others who want immigration reform to be thankful to the Democrats so they'll vote the right way. If that doesn't work, you use some of your uh, foreign policies to cause refugees and then say, well, we got to bring them into the country and they'll be forever grateful and vote Democrat also which is not Democrat. It's a vote for communism. Nobody comes to this country because they want communism. 
No soldier has ever said, I want to sign up to fight for socialism. That's not what happens here. We fight for freedom. We are not a democracy, as the Owls protesters kept saying, this is what democracy looks like. You never hear Obama talk about the Democratic Republic of the United States. He doesn't even know what it is. You don't hear Pelosi say those things or read any of the Democrats in Congress. They say democracy. We are not a democracy. We're a constitutional republic. There is a huge difference. One looks at the individual. The other one is always collectivism. And one of the things Obama said over and over, and still does, he'll use the word collective constantly. Well, I was in a collective a long time ago. When I got out of the Marines and, and worked for IBM, I eventually wanted to go back and get my college degree, of course. And what was popular in 1971, when, when uh, I got out, was um, progressivism on campuses. So you had women's studies and American studies and all those things. They didn't have uh, cross-culturalism and things like that, but they had women's studies and American studies. And so, of course, they became some of my electives so I could learn what those were about because I was a media studies major and a journalism th enthusiast. And I, that was, that's what I was really going for. But, you know, I had to take electives, and so I took some of those courses because, geez, you know, I, I, I wanted to learn about American studies, of course. Well... I didn't realize, because I was too young, that I was in the midst of the Marxist feminist movement on campuses and that to be part of the Women's Studies program meant that you believed in Marxist feminism and became part of a collective. Well, I was also um, a, a full conservative Republican without realizing that, um, believed in free market and capitalism um, to a point, not to imperialism, but capitalism as the way of life to achieve the American dream and was making good money at IBM. So I had a car and most of the leftist socialist students that worked in um, uh, women's studies, and American studies did not because they didn't believe in capitalism. They believed in social welfare and social justice and radical movements and, and radical ideologies and didn't really work. They just thought that they were causing the change. And so they actually came to me once and said, you need to share your car. And, and I'm, I, it's a brand new car. You know, I bought it for cash, right? <laughs> now, not a lot of cash back in 1971. You know, cars were, I think I got, I had a, uh, first I had to try a Spitfire. That was a little bit of money, convertible. And then I bought a B210 hatchback because that was kind of cool back then. That was a, a um, Datsun, which became Nissan later. But, I was supposed to share my car with whoever wanted it because that's that's what people with um, privilege should do. And I wouldn't do it. Of course, I, I, I wasn't very popular because I wouldn't do it. And so what happened? Um, I eventually got guilt-tripped into, okay, fine, you, you need to borrow my car, borrow my car. Well, you just need to share it. No, I'm, I'll, I'll loan it to you for a couple hours if that's what you need because I don't need it right now, but I really need it back, and be sure you put gas in it. Well, one time, just once, I loaned my car, and the person that drove it made sure that she stopped and got gas, and then brought the car home and parked it, and I I was living by myself. I was um, chastised for that, because I should live in collective households, like communes, those would be much better, but I didn't. I lived by myself at the time, and 
Um, she got home late, so the next morning she knocked on my door and said, here's the keys. And I said, oh, good, you have a good time. She goes, oh, yeah. She goes, um, sorry about the car, but I'm sure you have insurance. And, <laughs> well, when she stopped to get the gas, she actually hit something and tore the whole a quarter panel off the right side of where the gas tank was and and a gouge in the door and decided that, you know, sorry for it, but, you know, thanks for sharing. And then and then just walked away, never felt bad about it at all. And I, here I was, left with a wrecked car. But it's okay because what difference does it make? It was for the collective good. Somebody within the collective needed to use the car they were kind enough to repay some of the gas and um, nice enough not to lie about the fact that they're the ones who wrecked the car. I should feel quite quite good about all that. Well, that began quite a, a, a lot of changes in me where I really started studying Marxism and communism, etc. It's 1972 and 3. Um, and then and got my degree, of course. I had a couple of degrees I got pretty quickly, and, uh, and started working for the State University of New York at Buffalo in the computer systems, um, did a lot of stuff there and, and made good money, but was still being chastised because I just wasn't in the women's movement the way I should be, and I wasn't fighting for the collective the way they wanted me to, and uh, lost a lot of my community. They turned, I, I was racist, you see. <laughs> That's what they left us said. I actually had a friend who was black. And she knew that I was Italian, and we were at a party, and some people were standing in a you know in a circle with us, and we we're all talking. And um, she told an Italian joke, and I told a black joke, and one of the progressives women in uh, gay, I think, in the group heard the joke, and promptly decided that I was a racist because I had told a black joke. Nothing about my black friend telling an Italian joke, being anti-Italian. You know, they Italians were locked up in, in the camps during the Holocaust also. A couple million people who were Italian died in World War II for those reasons. But so I, so now my leftist radical feminist friends who I had been in the collective with and who had used my brain and my talents, my skills, my energy, my time suddenly turned on me and said, well, it's obvious you're racist because I told a black joke. I think, you know, you all have friends. And we used to tell Polish jokes, okay? I came from from a town that was fairly mostly Italian, and we had like a line that we, a little invisible line between our town and the next town, and we knew that everybody there were, were Polish. And so we called them Polacks, and they called us Dagos and Wops, and and we told jokes about each other, and, and just like blonde jokes, you know. If nobody talks about uh, cultural racism and blonde jokes. But that's just, you know, it's who we are as people. We we make fun of ourselves in relationship to others and then make fun of them in relationship to us. And So anyway, so this, this woman had been a, a good friend of mine for years. And um, we're talking, and I tell my joke, and she tells her joke, and we laugh, and, and the, 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 the collective decided that I must be racist. Well, the reason that they had to decide that is because I was starting to challenge some of their ideology. And once you challenge that ideology, then you're definitely a right-wing racist wherever you are. Well, that's fine. So, you know, I didn't mind. I, I wanted to break away from that whole thing anyway. And so it was like 1975 or 6 or 7, something like that. 
Well, the country was also changing, and so we were moving through Carter, thank God, who gave away the Panama Canal and started the whole thing with the CRA, the 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 beginning of the housing bubble that destroyed America recently, um, and got rid of him, and we moved into the Reagan era, and I, I wasn't a solid Republican. I was still more of a constitutional um, uh, conservative. And Ronald Reagan, to me, I had known him in California as a Democrat, so it was very difficult for me to get solidly behind Reagan right away. I didn't trust him. Um, and, of course, we had, you know, don't forget the 60s. I mean, the 60s started a lot of things. I was 13 when Kennedy was assassinated. But I also was already following history, and I had heard him say some days before the assassination he talked about a secret society. And of course, as a as a teenager, if you hear any of those things and you had grown up with Superman and the Mickey Mouse Club and all those things, you you you're 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 really into secret societies and trying to find out who they are. And I wanted to know what he was talking about. Not in any grown up way, but from a child's perspective, from a teenager's perspective. What secret societies, what clubs, what things was he going to expose? And I couldn't wait to find out. And then he was dead. And um, that forever haunted me, that, that that he was going to tell us something. And then he was silenced. And of course, you know, Vietnam was, was uh, starting and um, Johnson wanted to escalate that war. Another Democrat who wanted to escalate the war. I don't believe they liked Kennedy too much, even though he was from the Kennedy family. Because he wasn't a a progressive communist. He was actually conservative in nature. He was more center-right or center-left than he was left-left. And um, after the Cuban Missile Crisis, etc., I don't think the progressives wanted him there. So what, I'm, not being, I'm not talking about conspiracy, but even if they had nothing to do with his assassination, they were glad it happened because they could do what they wanted then with Vietnam and, and their social programs, their great societies and their food stamps and welfare that I don't think he was going to do. Because remember, his most famous statement was, asks not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. When Johnson took over, it was, let's show you what we can do for you with, with food stamps and welfare so that you'll always vote for us. Major change in ideology. Major. And of course, you know, once once... <laughs> He was gone, and Johnson was gone. We 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 moved into the era of of um, uh, um, Nixon and 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 then uh, Nixon, Ford, and then Carter. And of course, I mean, the country was in turmoil then. And Carter was the worst president ever happened. And then we move into Reagan, and not and the Republicans didn't like Reagan because he was more conservative than they were, because we still had progressive Republicans. Those have always been there. Those guys have always been there. And they weren't sure about Reagan and didn't like him. So so there was a problem within the Republican Party, because his tactics were different than what they wanted. And that's still what's going on right now. The, the, you know, all it's done is evolve into something that looks different, but the history is still there. I remember uh, uh, I was changing careers kind of, and 
when everyone was talking about trickle-down economics, I'm like, oh, my God, it'll take forever to trickle down to where we are. Um, interest rates were crazy, and the market was nuts, and and unemployment was high, and I was glad that I was working, and all those things were going on. In the end, Reagan was right, but it took a long time to trust him. It took a long time to see it happen. And um, the only thing that kept me on Reagan's side was that I saw his total patriotism, his belief in the Constitution, um, his respect for the flag, his his uh, honoring of veterans, which I was by then for quite a while. And that kept me with enough, kept, kept enough faith in me to say, okay, he can't be all wrong because he's got a lot of that stuff right. Um, so we moved, we moved through Reagan and into a, a different era again. Um, <clears throat> but then, of course, even after Reagan, we're still in, the country's always in transition. It's kind of yin-yangy, you know, it's, that's where that comes from. We might be all yinny for a while, and then things start to change, and there's turmoil and chaos, and then we're yangy, and we're all yangy for a while, and it goes back the other way, and it's a pendulum. It swings back and forth, and what we have never or haven't yet figured out in America is how to kind of keep that pendulum just ticking back and forth in the middle, a little to the left, a little to the right, a little to the left. We go radical. We go all the way to one edge and back to the other again, and that causes a lot of pain and a lot of turmoil, a lot of chaos. And and a lot of murders and assassinations and wars and everything else. We can't somehow get to a point where we have the leadership that lets us say, well, yeah, okay, we don't have to be radical in our thoughts all the time. You know, nobody believes in war. Republicans or Democrats don't want war. Maybe the super bankers do who, who profit from it. But again, that's what war is about, profits. But nobody around me wanted to be in war. I was a Marine. None of them wanted to be there. Um, but if you need to go, then you need to believe in your country enough and, and in yourself enough to say, if we don't, or if I don't, go and fight for my country. My country may not be my country anymore. Now, throughout um, the middle of our history, the first part of our history was fight not another country, but ourselves. And then it was fight other countries. Now we're back to fighting ourselves. None of us want to go to war with another country because we have so much, so many problems here and so much that has to be fought for that people are more ready now to fight here for your country, just like they were during the Revolution or the Civil War. Um, you're still, you, you know, in the earlier War of 1812 and the Spanish, the French, and Indian War, etc., were fighting other countries because they're trying to take over territories. But the Civil War was more, okay, now we're fighting amongst ourselves because of different ideologies, but it's still about profits. It was what the North was taking away from the South and how the South was supposedly profiting from slavery when it was actually, nobody realized that George Washington had slaves and, and, uh, Many uh, around Abraham Lincoln had slaves, and, and it wasn't a Southern thing like the Democrats and the progressives try to make out now. We were the slave owners and we're the, the rednecks and the Confederates, and you know I'm in Alabama now, but I was brought up in western New York, so I was in the Empire State, and now I'm in the most conservative state in the South, which is, which is um, a weird thing to do <laughs> right there. But anyway, that history has gone on, and we're, we're back in a 
an evolved place of where we were before. We have the most radical communist ever in the office of the president. We also have the first black president, but he's not really. He's a mulatto. Don't believe he's black. He's not black. He didn't grow up in ghetto America, but black ghetto America. He's not like my black friends. He didn't grow up with any of that. He's not black. He's half black and half white, probably worked for the CIA, and has actually led a very good life compared to most black people that I know. But they, but he's been touted as the first African-American. Well, I, my friends aren't African-Americans. They're black. They're black Americans. I'm not an Italian-American. I'm an American. If you want to decide what color my skin is at any time of the year, go ahead. Call me a tanned American. Call me a red-faced American. Call me a pale American, a pale face, like the Indians would call us, um, depending on what time of the year it was. All of that is baloney in my mind. Um, but so we had the first black president who was the biggest embarrassment to the black community ever. How sad that is. And that's why they still want to support them, because they don't even believe that they voted for this man and that he's an embarrassment to them. So let's not make him an embarrassment. Let's stand up for him. Or the other side is, well, we got to keep watching his back because maybe he'll still give us a free house or a free car. We don't have to work anymore. I would be very angry at him if I was a black person. Very angry, not only that unemployment in the black community is above 31%, but that he doesn't help you or push you or encourage you or inspire you to be better than you were. What he does instead is, oh no, we'll give you food stamps and we'll give you a free phone and we'll we'll pay for your health care and we'll pay for everything else so that you can stay a subject to us forever. And we'll use Common Core in the schools to teach your children our ideology of communism and social justice so that we can transform the educational system, which is being transformed as history is being rewritten, so that you can never aspire to where we are. Ask my black friends, your black friends, how often they think when they're 44 years old they're going to be able to go golfing every weekend and take million-dollar vacations. Well, some of them will say, if I sell enough drugs, maybe. <laughs> but not many. And you know what? Ask my white friends the same thing. <laughs> I can't golf every weekend. I don't take million-dollar vacations. I worked for some of the biggest corporations in America whether that was through the, the, the university systems or the I, or IBM Corporation or Timeplex or American Express, I worked for them. I worked for myself. I still can't take million-dollar vacations. Only the elite can do that. And I think blacks and Hispanics should be very upset. And they should be looking for the same way we are, same us white Italian Americans, part Native American, are looking for the right leadership and the right way to go to get this country back on track, not as an imperialist nation that goes into other countries. I don't necessarily agree with all that. I believe we, as a powerful country, need to use that power when people need us to. But as a nation that people want to come to, to become more of who they were meant to be, that's what America has always been about, the freedom to become you. And if we don't listen to our history and learn from our history, 
none of us are ever going to see that again, and our children never will. Because instead, we're being pushed into believing that being part of the collective is all that it's about. Let's all dress alike, look alike, act alike, talk alike, be alike, except for the elite. Um, and then many of those elitists, by the way, when they're no longer useful to the more elite, to their true ruling classes, they'll be gone too. But they don't get that. They don't understand that, that they're useless idiots being used. They don't read Stalin or Lenin or Marx or Mao. You know, Mao Zedong, page 69, the little red book that I read in 1974, said, without contradiction, there is no movement. And of course, that that word became part of the 60s. The, the gay movement, the women's movement, the anti-war movement, 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 movement. You need a contradiction to have movement or change. The word movement is the same in change. And so what is Barack Obama give you hope and change. That means you're going to have constant chaos. Maintain your hope. We'll see where you get, and it's up to us. We know what the agenda is. We know what's best for you. The end justifies the means, and no matter what we do or say, what difference does it make? We're heading down that road to, to uh, 2014 and 2016. It's time to really know the history and the timelines and how it evolves and where you fit in and to stop it. You should be the change. Cause the chaos on the other side. Stop Common Core. That is communist indoctrination led and fed by the United Nations, which is a corrupt international waste and abusive organization, which Obama is catering to and wants to be Secretary General of. Stop the Islamization of America. We don't want or need Sharia law here. You want Sharia law? Go to the countries that believe in Sharia law. Our law is constitutional. We are a constitutional republic. That's the difference, and that's where we need to stay, and that's why we need to fight, have wars. If we have to, we're having verbal wars. I don't know what else it's going to take, but my territory is America. My nation is the United States of America. I will fight for it because I believe in freedom and I know my history and I know the history of my country. That's what we need to be. And we need to be ready and willing with our hearts and souls to fight for it. This is Raina G, earthwalk-usa.com. Spread the word. I'll be back. Thanks.